I don't know what I was doing asking them to sing that song right before I get up here to preach to you. Um, I feel like I've had that song on repeat for the last two weeks. Um, boy, what a couple of weeks it's been for the life of our church. And um, I know Cassie um, uh, just singing her heart out. Of course, so glad how Eddie's come through and doing so much better. And I just, I think about how God's just working in our midst. And I know that we've got a lot of folks that are fighting this virus. And a lot of us are praying for loved ones and folks that we're just, uh, our hearts ache for. But it is so good to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Hey, before we dive into this text tonight, I want to give you a little bit of a a way for you to interact in the sermon tonight. I mean, other than you can talk back a little bit. We like that. Alan likes that. So I got to get you warmed up for it, right? But um, you're going to see on the screen up here our text-in number. And I want you to give me uh, a a one-word answer. I want you to text it in on the text line to this. What word comes to your mind when you think of the goodness of God? Okay, don't, don't give me a sentence. We need one word, 12 characters or less, okay? Because we're going to use it a little bit later in the sermon. And so if you could just, as you think of one word, when you think of the goodness of God, text it in on our text line, okay? I think they showed it up here, but it's 206-3131. Text that in, and we're going to use those words here in just a little bit. So you can work on that as we work through this passage. Well, today, um, we're going to dive into the book of Nahum. It's a minor prophet in the Old Testament, okay? If you can find, like, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, okay? Or if you just have a smartphone, just click Nahum, and you'll get there, all right? Uh, Minor prophet with a really big message. And it's a message of condemnation and a message of comfort, And we're going to look at that today. So if you can get your way to Nahum chapter 1, Nahum 1-7 is is probably one of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible. And I've shared it in devotional thoughts, but I've never had a chance to just really dig in deep to this text and really the context of the message from Nahum the prophet. And so today we're going to look at that. So hopefully by now you've been able to find that minor prophet. Would you stand with me in the reverence of reading God's word? And I'd like to read Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Scripture says this, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum from Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance in his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the seas and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earths heave before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Verse 7, the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. God, I pray that you would join us right now. I pray that as we look into this text that you'll speak to our hearts. God, I pray that each one of us today will hear the message that you have for us. 
And God, I pray that you would help me to hide behind the cross. And Lord, I pray that today that, that Lord, your Holy Spirit would have a freedom in this place. We love you. We thank you for your word. May you open our hearts now in your name. Amen. Right here in Nahum chapter 1, uh, we jump right into this text, and I know like it's a little bit heavy, right? And uh, maybe some of you are like, who is this Nahum? So Nahu is kind of where we're going to start. And I think if you just look at verse 1, I want to talk about five words really quick in verse 1 to kind of give us some context of this minor prophet, all right? And so the five words we're going to look at is, that first word is oracle. That's kind of a word you don't hear a whole lot, but that, that word Oracle means to carry a burden. It was a, a heavy announcement at what Nahum, this minor prophet, was bringing out. And, and the, the weightiness of this message that he had. And so that word oracle means a burden or weightiness. Now, notice what it says. He's, he's giving a heavy proclamation concerning, and the next word is Nineveh. Okay, so listen, Nahum is really the sequel of the book of Jonah, all right? So Jonah, you just flip back two books, you got the book of Jonah. Uh, Dr. Aiken took us through a study on that, right? And, and we remember how the end of Jonah happens, like Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, he preaches the gospel, and the king repents, the city repents, because Nona, uh, Jonah was proclaiming, hey, 40 days, and then comes your destruction, and the whole city, like revival breaks out, God relents, and then remember, Jonah pitches the pity party. He says, I knew you were God who forgives. And he was mad about it, right? And kind of the end of Jonah, you, you kind of, you, we kind of end with this revival and Jonah pitching a fit about it, basically. Well, this is about a hundred years later. And Nineveh, what was a great revival, has turned into a glimmer and then nothing, an absolute rebellion against God. And here, Nahum has been set aside by God to proclaim a message of condemnation against Nineveh, which was the capital city of the evil empire of the Assyrians, okay? And he was bringing condemnation and judgment to them, but in the same sense, he was bringing hope and comfort to the Jews of Judea. So, the message has Nineveh and God's people in mind. And then we see it says right here that it's the book of the vision. Now, God gave Nahum a vision of what was to come. But what's interesting is this is one of the only prophetic books that calls itself a book. Some scholars speculate whether Nahum was a better writer than he was maybe a preacher. And so when he saw the vision from God, he used his pen more than his voice. Some have wondered that. But it's interesting that this book, this book of the Bible actually calls itself a book. And then it says, of the vision of Nahum. Who is this guy, Nahum? Well, number one, his, word in he his name in Hebrew means comfort. I think that's kind of ironic that here you have one prophet who's bringing a heavy message to the people, but his name means comfort. Many have wondered and speculated where did Nahum come from. Uh, there's four or five great speculations out there, but I got to be honest with you, one of them to me sounds like a little Captain Obvious. Some have speculated, did he kind of come out of Capernaum? 
and uh, why, why many have speculated that that was where he was from, which is on the north of the Sea of Galilee. Got to be honest with you, you've been over there, and that's one of my favorite little towns that you get to go through. And I remember being in, in Capernaum, and our guide kept calling it Capernaum. I'm like, Capernaum? I don't get it. But then it's Capernaum, uh, however way you pronounce it. But anyways, the name of that city, Capernaum, means, get this, village of Nahum. Hello, <laughs> just might be where this minor prophet came from, right? But here we've got this obscure figure because I got news for you. It's, it's never been about the man, but it's always about the message. And God had a message to deliver one to the Ninevites, but then also one to his people. And so out of those words, we begin to, to figure out, hey, who is this, this Nahum and his message? Now, this book has this dichotomy, okay? And really, when you think about a dichotomy, it's, it's two really opposing views, because you're gonna see this in scripture, this dichotomy between condemnation and comfort. Condemnation for the Assyrians and comfort to God's people. And we see this. Now, just let's use our imagination for a minute. You're Mr. Ninevite. You wake up there in the beautiful city of Nineveh. You're, you live in the greatest nation on the planet. They were the superpower of the day. You stroll to the end of your driveway. You scoop up a newspaper, scroll, I don't know, papyri, something, but just pretend with me. And you, you begin to walk back to your house and, and all of a sudden you look down on that newspaper and the headlines are plastered with Nahum the prophet predicts gloom and doom and the end of our mighty global domination. You're a Ninevite, you're probably going, Nahu? Is this like fake news? Like, is somebody pranking us? Like, really? We dominate everybody. And who is this prophet that's proclaiming it? Little did they know the condemnation and the truth at what Nahum was saying. But then imagine you're down in Judah. You've been oppressed. One of the reasons that they were under the oppression of the Assyrians was God was judging them. Okay, Israel, the nation of Israel had already been taken over and Judah was left, but Judah had basically paid off their enemies. They had paid off the Assyrians for protection instead of trusting in God. And God was judging them for it. But just imagine if you're Mr. You little man in Judea and you walk to the end of your driveway and you pick up the Judah journal, you know what I mean? And you begin to walk back and all of a sudden you hear this proclamation of, hey, Nahum the prophet predicts absolute destruction of the Assyrians by our good God. Boy, it would be a message of hope and a message of comfort. It's quite a dichotomy between the two kind of reminds me of what Paul talks about over in Corinthians. He says this, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, just as the good news of the gospel comes forward to a world that is perishing, it's foolishness. But to us who are saved by it, we know the power of our God. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. The message is bringing condemnation, but it's bringing comfort. Now, let's dive through this text really quick. And, and scripture, I mean, Nahum doesn't hold back punches. Look at verse 2, right? The, con, the condemned here at first. Nothing can stand against the condemnation of our God's wrath. 
Look at verse 2. He says this, For the Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance in his adversaries and keeps the wrath of his enemies. Whew. Man, that's heavy. Right here in Scripture, you see the sobering realities of the attributes of God. And you see them on display where Scripture says that, that God is jealous. He cannot tolerate any rivals. There will be no rivals to our God. He expects our love, our fear, our trust, and our dependency on Him for all mankind. Now think about it. I know you're sitting there going, man, these are strong words to talk about God. Like we usually use like nice words, like God is love and he is, but God is just and, and God is jealous for you and I. Think about this. When he gave the 10 commandments back in Exodus chapter 20, you remember the first two of the 10 commandments, no other gods before me and no idols. But then in Exodus 20 in verse five and six, God says this, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Guys, we're almost seeing that come true right here in this text where God is saying, hey, I am a jealous God. The Ninevites had absolutely turned their backs on God and God is judging them. And the Bible says this, that he's an avenging God. And listen, it's almost repeated. There's a redundancy here in the text where he says he is an avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance. I mean, there is this, this repetitive nature of it. I mean, God was and is the original avenger right here in Scripture. And the redundancy, this idea that Yahweh is full of wrath, literally, he is the Lord and master of fury. The words jealousy, wrath, and vengeance are a cluster of words that are closely related in concept in the Old Testament. And I know for many of us, we think about them in a fleshly manner. Some of these attributes we think, and we've seen the way the flesh can take jealousy or the way that the flesh and sinful man can twist these things, but a holy God who created us he has the right to say, hey, no rivals, no one, no one else but me. And right here in scripture, we see that the attribute of jealousy causes God to act by pouring out his wrath with the result that vengeance and judicial recompense is accomplished. This idea that he is wrathful. I want you to see this really in verse three because some will say, man, God is wrathful. He is, he, he, he's, he's pouring out his judgment on the Ninevites. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, God's, when God pours out his wrath, it's always well-planned and at his time. And we see this in scripture where it says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. When I think about this idea that God is slow to anger, you realize that the Ninevites had had over a hundred years to truly repent and turn back to God. I've often wondered in this moment when they heard the proclamation from Nahum, if they would have been as broken as they were a hundred years ago, would God have relented again? Because remember, they were down to a 40-day shot clock under Jonah, he said 40 days, then comes destruction, and they were broken to the core. 
But yet here we see there's no brokenness. They stand taut in their rebellion against God. And it says this though, that God is slow to anger. Man, I'm not you, but like that verse, like I am grateful that God is slow to anger. I'm glad that every time I mess up, he doesn't snap my head off like he could. I am grateful that God and his mercies are new every morning. I'm grateful that God gives us the opportunity to repent and turn back to him. Clive Anderson, an author, said this about this text. He says, Nineveh was going to receive the judgment that had been postponed at the time of Jonah. Hear this. Past blessings does not guarantee present peace. The people of each generation must seek and serve God for themselves. When you think about it, there was a failure in the generations. The generation of Jonah okay, that was broken before a mighty God, did not pass down the legacy of faith to the future generations of Nineveh, did not warn them or remind them that, hey, there is a God who is jealous for us. And here we see this in the text in verse 3. It says, he will by no means clear the guilty. You see, sin must be punished. You can't buy off God. You can't go around them, you can't flatter them, you can't do a bunch of good deeds. No bribery or flattery will deflect the wrath of God against sin. And listen, I know as I sat on that, I began to think about it of how are those times that I try to play games with God, but God doesn't play those games. How many times do I I mess up in sin and then I try to rebound and just, I'm going to be extra good. Like, God, I'm going to do all these things so that then maybe you'll just love me again. Listen, God doesn't play those games. Says this, that he is great in power. He has the position and the power to execute any threat, no matter how unlikely or difficult. And that's really what you see in verses four through six as he says this, he's great in power, he'll no means clear the guilty, but then he looks at, look at, look at the end of three through. He says, his way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Like all of a sudden, listen, you and I should begin to shrink big time over these next couple verses when we begin to think about the power of our incredible God. And it says right here that in verse four, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. You see, some have speculated in this moment was Nahum reminding them of, hey, this God is the God who flooded the earth. He is the God who split the Red Sea wide open so that his children could walk through it. This is the God who stopped the rivers of the Jordan so his people could walk across on dry land like nothing is beyond the reach of our God. And Nahum is reminding him of that. He rebukes the sea, he dries the land, he dries up the rivers. Bashan and Carmel, some of the most rich and fertile lands that are over in the Middle East, God can dry them up. The bloom of Lebanon withers. Listen, we all know about the cedars of Lebanon and the beautiful forests of Lebanon. Listen, they're all under the control of God. Verse five, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt, the earth heaves before him. And listen to this, the world and all who dwell in it. Listen, our great God controls it all. 
To the condemned, that could be scary. To the redeemed, there's great comfort. Verse 6 says this, Who can stand before his indignation? That word indignation is anger aroused by something unjust and unworthy. God will not be mocked. Dr. Aiken shared with us when we went through Jonah just the evilness of Nineveh. And they were back to their old ways. They were cruel and brutal. God says, hey, no one can stand before my indignation. Nobody. Well, when we look at this, verses 2 through 6, I don't know about you, but I feel like this overwhelming tsunami of God's wrath flowing at us. And then in the middle comes this oasis of a verse, and it's verse 7. Because all of a sudden we'll be like, man, holy macro, like, yes, no one can stand against God, and man, he is mighty, and, and he is jealous, and he is vengeful, and man, all these things, and it's like, man, we don't stand a chance. And God goes, oh, but I am good. Verse 7. Here's why I want to flip the script for a second and look at the comforted. God is our good. He, God is good, our refuge, and we are not forgotten. And that's the message. All of a sudden, he switches from the condemned to the comforted in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, the Lord is good. Spurgeon said it like this when you get to verse 7. Let me read this to you. Have you read this chapter through? It is a very terrible one. It is like the rushing of a mighty river when it nears its cataract. It boils and seas and flows with overflowing force, bearing everything before it. Yet, right in the middle of the surging flood stands out like a green island, the most cheering, comforting, and delightful text. Just when you feel like, I don't stand a chance under the wrath of God, he says, the Lord is good. I'm reminded of what scripture talks about. In Psalms 145, 5 through 7, it says this, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. All right, First Naples, I want to see how you have been uttering of the greatness of God. Remember when we started today, I asked you, could you text in a word that you thought of when you think of the goodness of God? I believe our tech guys are going to throw up a word cloud for us here of these are all words that you guys have sent in, and uh, every time it moves a little bit, that's another word that's coming in. The bigger the word, um, that's the more times you guys repeated in saying it. But look at this. I mean, it's mercy, love, grace, faith. Faithful, Jesus, forgiveness, unrelenting, health, life, family, holy. Boy, I got to keep up. It keeps moving, right? Um, I could go around in circles. New pastor, come on. Can we sing of the praises of our Lord? You see, guys, every day we've got to wake up and go, our Lord is good. I love when Pastor Alan got in this pulpit last week and said, God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. We've got to remind ourselves of that. Y'all, there's a lot going on in our world today. There is trouble everywhere that we look. If you turn on the news, it's depressing. Like, you'd look at statistics and you hear of friends battling. And listen, we've got to remind ourselves that God is good. 
He is for us. We must take comfort in that. Now, I thought about this as I was thinking about the goodness of God, and I just want to reflect on really five things that popped at me really quick about the goodness of God and what we've seen in our midst. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you uh, about Dr. Aiken and, and, and under his ministry over the last 20 months, and when I think about it, 161 new members joined the church, and guys, I don't know about you, but when I walked in tonight, and you see this of, of the people that God are bringing to lock arms with us to go from Naples to the nations, like that's exciting. God is working in our midst. When I saw that 157 people had taken the next step of believer's baptism and, and said, hey, I'm not ashamed of being a follower of Jesus Christ and I will walk obedient. Like that's something to shout about. Like God is good and he's working. Just what, last Thursday, we did a food distribution with St. Matt's right here on the back of our property. And, and I'm grateful hundreds of you have volunteered with us. But Ashley from St. Matt's said this last week. And I, I grabbed my phone and I wrote it down really quick because I didn't want to forget it. Because I thought about this moment. We've been partnering with them for 72 weeks, us and other churches in the community. And Ashley said this, that, that through our food distributions, that St. Matt's estimated that we have fed over 200,000 households in the last 72 weeks. Now, that's not just us. That's us and other churches as well. But, you know, that's staggering just how God pulls people together. And I love how churches have mobilized. I mean, that first couple of months, it was just us out here multiple times a week. And now there's five to 10 churches all of our city trying to meet the needs of the people in the community. Like, that's big church stuff, yo. That's awesome. To God be the glory. I'm going to be honest with you about this. By God's grace, I am grateful that we have reconciled with our former pastor and the Wicker family. Man, God is good. <laughs> Praise God. I want you to hear me on this one. Did you, did you see your first word when you came in today? Because there's something a little staggering on the back of this. Did you guys see the fact in our all-in campaign, have you seen our notes payable? It's down to 490,000. I want you to hear me on this. Like, God's people have been so faithful. I mean, number one, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. There's nothing more scary for pastors. What happened to us last spring when we tell everybody stop coming to church. You know what I mean? Like, slow the spread, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like, those things. And, but you know what I saw just day after day? People driving by, putting their offering in the drop box. People sending it. I mean, when we got the mail, it was like Christmas every day. Just to see how you guys stayed faithful. And so we could keep ministering and loving on people through a crazy global pandemic. God is good. When you think about this, listen, I want you to hear this. In the last 90 days, we've been able to pay down the loan over a million dollars in the last 90 days. And that's just, that's just God, when you think about that. I mean, that, that's something to celebrate. We were able to push 600,000 over from our budget surplus from a year ago because you guys were faithful. And then FBA got in the mix too, and they said, hey, God was good to us. We want to put 300000 towards that because we want to be debt-free as well. And so we're grateful for First Baptist Academy pushing over some to go, hey, let's get this debt off. And then you know what? 
we as leadership came together under the stewardship team, Ken Anderson and his stewardship team, and they said, you know what, if we're gonna ask the church, because it's, I gotta be honest with you, there's a lot of things I'd love to do to get this church handed off to its next pastor, and I kept saying one of them was, we need to get the debt paid off. And so we went to all the leadership, pastors, committee members, BLG teachers and deacons, and said, hey, if we're gonna ask the church to do this, we need to lead first. And so you know what our leadership did? And we just went and we said, hey, we're gonna start this thing called Let's Get Ready and let's get this debt off us and let's be the first givers of it. And right now we're sitting at 121,000 that's been given or pledged just from the leadership of our church to go, let's get this debt retired. And praise God for that. So listen, this week you're gonna get a letter from Ken Anderson just laying out what God has done and we're just gonna ask you to prayerfully consider, I mean, y'all, 490,000. I'm not you, but I, I so want to hand this church off to Pastor Allen, debt-free, ready to go and follow. Because I got news for you, we all better put our running shoes on because I think we're going from Naples to the nations, come on. And so I want you guys to be praying of what part can we sacrifice to, to be a part of what God's going to do to reach the nations right here from Naples and beyond. Y'all, that's exciting. And I'm excited about what God is doing. You know, God gave me a moment. The last thing I'll share about the goodness of God. I was looking in my prayer journal of things I've just been praying over and I, I flipped to the page that I wrote over two years ago when I knew Pastor Wicker was retiring and I just began to pray for our next pastor. I didn't know who he was. Maybe it's the missions pastor in me, but you know what I wrote beside his name? God, give him a missional heart. And y'all, listen, last weekend, when this church, by only God, came together in unity and voted and agreed together that we sense and we see God working to call Alan Brumbeck, be the next pastor here, 99%, that's only God. That is only God. Y'all, he is so good. We have seen God work in our midst and listen, what he's done before, he'll do again. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. I want you to see this because the Lord is good. It says he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Literally a place of refuge, a defense, a fortress of protection. Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In times of trouble, afflictions that are common to all, y'all, we have trouble all around us. It is heartbreaking when we are seeing friends and family members battling this virus. And how about you, but it seems like every day my list grows longer of people that I'm praying for. And then we flip on the news and we see what's happening across in the Middle East and it breaks our heart what's happening in Afghanistan. I just listened to a podcast this week and all of a sudden some things started clicking in my head because I heard this, that do you know that the church is growing fastest by percentage? The number one place in the world right now is Iran and the second place is Afghanistan that the church is growing 
in the midst of incredible persecution. You know, sometimes when I see what's going on TV, I just think to myself, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we've got to lift our brothers and sisters in Christ who are literally running to the mountains because there is a bounty on their head because they have named the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's, let's not joke about we go into persecution. That's a whole nother level. In a time of trouble, he is our fortress. He is our strength. And I ask you this, what is troubling you today? Are you running to other things? Or are you running to him? You see, we, we look in our world and we all try to fix our brokenness in a lot of different ways. People, substances, money, pleasure. I'm here to tell you all those things will leave you short. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can have hope to face the future. He is our strength. And here's what the last part of that verse says. He knows those who trust in him. He knows nothing or no one is hidden from his sight. Man, I remember I learned this verse when I was a kid and it brought me so much comfort. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Listen, God knows the hairs on your head. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows you. Sometimes I'm at you, but I think, hey God, I know you got a dumpster fire going on over in the Middle East, and well, I know we've got a pandemic. Like, do you really care about this? Like, I'm praying for my kid for that, or God, I need you. Yes, He knows, He cares. And He is the God powerful enough to do something about it. Why do we worry? Why do we fret? We need to run to him. He knows. And he says this, he knows those who trust in him. Do we trust him in troubles and triumphs? I know it's you, but listen, if I look back on God, what have you done in me over the last couple of years? You know what I've seen? I've seen myself walk closer to him in utter dependence because I knew it was way beyond me. And I needed him to get through the day. And listen, sometimes when times are good, it's easy to think you got it all together. But there's moments of difficulty that you realize, I hold nothing together. And it draws us into dependency on him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on all of your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Man, we gotta trust the Lord. He knows. He knows the troubles. He knows what you're going through. He is good. He is your stronghold. So as we conclude here today, I want you to think about this. What headline are you reading? Is it one of condemnation or one of comfort? Matthew Henry, the old scholar, says it this way. The wrath of God is here revealed from heaven against his enemies. His favor and his mercy are here assured to his faithful, loyal subjects. His almighty power in both, making his wrath very terrible and his favor very desirable. So do you stand here condemned? I want you to see two of the scariest verses in the whole book of Nahum. 
In chapter 2, verse 13, and in chapter 3, verse 5, Nahum says this over them. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. Is there anything scary you could ever hear that God is against you? And Nahum repeats it twice. I'm with you, but I, I don't want to be on the end of that whooping stick. Like if God is against you, you got no shot. And that's where Nineveh sat. But I got news for you. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are hopeless and helpless because we are born sinners and we are born condemned. We are hopeless and helpless under the wrath of God because of our sin. All of us here are condemned. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But I got some good news to comfort you with. Because we all start in the same boat. We're all sinners. But here's the comfort. Look at the end of chapter 1 of Nahum. 1.15, here's a beautiful moment. A prophetic moment. It's a beautiful verse. Nahum 1.15 says, Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Listen, in this moment, Nahum gives us a prophetic word of the one who will come, who will publish peace. I got news for you. There's only one who holds that. There's only one who can bring peace with God, and that's Jesus Christ. Behold, look to the mountains. Listen, Isaiah 52.7, right here, Nahum joins the voice of Isaiah prophesying of the coming of Christ. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You know what? Romans 5.1 tells us this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the game changer on this headline for each one of us who stand condemned is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the publisher of peace with God because he bore God's wrath on the cross for you and I. That's why he died. Matter of fact, scripture goes on to say, Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth and heaven, listen to this, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ, death on the cross is the only hope that we have to have peace with God and our sins forgiven. What's your headline today? Did you walk in here condemned and a sinner? I'm here to tell you, through Jesus Christ, you can be redeemed through the blood of the Lamb and have peace with God. You know what I also love about this text? Paul jumped on this text of what Isaiah and Nahum was saying. And Paul, when he talked about whoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, over in Romans chapter 10, he then goes on to say, well, how will they hear unless someone is sent? And how will they hear unless there's a preacher? And, and then Paul quotes this familiar text. 
over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, he says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Hey, I got news for you. Today, you can move from condemnation to comfort and many of you have done that. Many of you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I got news for you. The redeemed of the Lord, it's not just so that we can be safe. No, no, no. We got a mission, Paul says. Hey, it's our job to be the ambassadors, the good news. We are to take this good news to a lost and dying world. Like, that's our job. That's what God's called us to do. Listen to what 2 Corinthians says in 1.3. Blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, listen, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I got news for you. For those of us that have been comforted by the blood of the Lamb, who have been redeemed, it is our job to take that to a world that so needs to hear it. Now I'm going to close with this. I've got a testimony I want you guys to hear. Last Thursday I got all the stuff ready for the food bank and we were early and so the director of St. Matt's was out here with us and he lost his wife this summer to cancer. And he started sharing me a testimony, and I'll be honest with you, I was crying like a baby on that fork truck. Like, it just, it wrecked me. And I said, hey, Ray, our church needs to hear this. Because what you and your wife just walked through is probably one of the most difficult walks you've ever faced. But at the end of it, you and her kept saying, God is good. Watch this video. My name is Ray Stedman. I work for St. Matthew's House. I've been involved with working alongside the volunteers and pastoral staff here at First Baptist Church since last summer through our food distributions. My wife, Laura Candylin Stedman, was diagnosed with adrenal cortical carcinoma on December 2nd of 2019, which was just before the pandemic started. As we started to go down this path of treatment options, we were introduced to Pastor Kevin Taylor's wife, Sarah Taylor, who shared a passage with my wife that was from Job 14.5. My wife never really mentioned that passage until about four weeks before she passed. We were walking into Moffitt in one of the large hallways and there was nobody in the room. It was just us walking and I was pushing her in her wheelchair and she was a very happy person. And she said to me, these doctors don't determine my days. Cancer doesn't determine my days. Chemo doesn't determine my days. Only the Lord determines my days. And, and that was the passage that Sarah had shared with my wife that had gave her inspiration that she was quoting here in what would come to be the last few weeks of her life. As she continued on this journey, she deteriorated a little bit more, ended up in Lakeland Regional, um, in palliative care, ready to go into hospice. And it was a Sunday, it was the last Sunday that she was really cognitively with us. And uh, we'd had a great day with family and every family member had come by and said hello. We took lots of pictures and shared lots of wonderful stories. And then kind of as the day went on, we got to a point in the night where it was just myself, 
our two children, Tyler and Brittany, and then our grandson, Evan. And uh, she just finished dinner and she said, you know, can you, can you put on that song by Carrie Job, The Blessing? And so I did and, and we sat there and she began to pronounce a blessing over her children and over her grandchildren and over her unborn children. And it was very powerful. She began to almost have a spiritual experience that it's unexplainable. Probably one of the most powerful moments of, of my life. Um, she came out of that and after it was over, she had her head on my shoulder, just exhausted from what she had experienced. And she said, I think the big guy just came and sat on my lap. <laughs> and uh, later that same night, our, our pastors from Lakeland, Pastor Scott and Cindy Thomas had, had come by to visit with her and, and Candy was just, she was smiling from ear to ear. And it, it was almost unbelievable to look at it uh, if you didn't have a relationship with the Lord. But she was smiling from ear to ear and as she began to talk to our pastor, she said, Pastor, and her eyes got real big and just smiling, the biggest smile you could ever imagine and saying, Pastor, I'm about to go see Jesus face to face. And in that moment, it was two worlds. We were so sad to know that she was about to leave us but so excited that we knew where she was going. So good to know that God had wrapped up in his arms, taking her on that journey from this life into eternity. The Lord is good. Our worship team's gonna come up here and lead us in a song. I just want you to reflect on the goodness of God. Maybe the best thing we can do tonight is count our blessings, the way that we have seen God work and God move in our midst. And here as we close the service, we're gonna have some pastors up front when we end. And tonight, if you don't know Christ as your savior, if you're like, pastor, I'm, I, I stand condemned, but I, I want this peace through Jesus Christ. I mean, we would love to share with you the hope that is found only in him. And so I want to encourage you, when, when we are done the service and say amen, you come up front and talk to one of us. We'd love to share with you that hope. Church, let's stand. Lord Jesus, I just pray that we would never get over the good news that God, every single one of us in here, because of our sin, stands condemned. But because of your grace and because you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to bear your wrath, we can have peace with you through him. And God, I pray for anyone in here who hasn't experienced that yet. Would tonight be the night that they pass from death to life? But God, I pray for the redeemed of the Lord, those of us that have been comforted by the good news of Jesus Christ. God, may we not hold it. Lord, may it be such an overwhelming song in our lips that we can't contain it. That our neighbors and our friends and Lord, people that we testify to, people that we work with, people that are around us, God, may they see the goodness of God in us. And God, may we be faithful to be the beautiful feet of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not afraid to share it. God, I pray that you do a work in our midst. 
thank you that you are good, that you are stronghold in the day of trouble. And Lord, you know those just like Miss Candy who trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.